Hi, everybody. Welcome to season four of the Revon Vert podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be, to be speaking with Cecily Torresmark, CEO of Copenhagen Fashion Week and sustainable fashion advocate. I can't wait to share her wisdom on the future of fashion with you all. But first, I want to say a quick thank you to our friends at Wild Deodorant for sponsoring today's episode. I'm so thrilled to be launching a new podcast sponsor today that not only do I love conceptually, but I've now started using myself and cannot live without. Wild Deodorant is a natural deodorant company that focuses on performance, sustainability, and style. Utilizing the power of nature, they have created an effective, long-lasting deodorant that is free of aluminium and parabens, both of which we talk about lots at Rev as being ingredients we recommend staying away from, whilst also being cruelty-free and vegan. I have long been on the hunt for a non-toxic deodorant that really works since learning about how detrimental the effects of chemicals like aluminium going into our skin is. And Wild ticks all the boxes for me whilst also having a really lovely scent. And as you all might imagine, the use of eco-friendly materials is as important to me as the non-use of natural respectful ingredients. Here again, Wild has taken measures towards sustainability that are really unique. The reusable wild applicator is made from durable aluminium and recycled plastic details to ensure it lasts for years, not months. Meanwhile, their deodorant refills are 100% biodegradable, recyclable, and plastic-free, making it a world-first design and raising the bar for sustainability. With so much waste in our beauty routines at the moment, this is such a wonderful solution to ridding ourselves of unnecessary plastic and doing our bit to help out the environment in 2021. Finally, this is a deodorant that really does work. My husband has now started using it as well, so I can assure everyone that, it, that this is a fully effective unisex product. So I'm very excited to be able to share with our Revenver audience today a very special promotion of 20% off your first order with them. You can purchase these amazing deodorants by going to wearewild.com and using the discount code REV at checkout. That's wearewild.com and code REV at checkout for 20% off. Enjoy you guys and let me know what you think. And thank you very much, Wild, for making today's very amazing conversation possible. And now over to my conversation with Cecily, CEO of Copenhagen Fashion Week. I'm really excited to speak with her today. I have forgone Fashion Weeks for the last two years now in order to minimize our carbon footprint here at Rev. But when I did used to go, this was my favorite Fashion Week as it was always felt the most down to earth and in touch with the city. It was also hands down the greenest. I met Cecily during her very first season as CEO and she was so lovely and passionate about her role in making Copenhagen the leader for sustainability within Fashion Weeks. She's now a couple of years in and making incredible strides. Today, we talk about how she has set up goals for brands to adhere to, how she's looking within at Copenhagen Fashion Week itself to become more green, and the future of fashion in general after a very tough 2020. This is such a relevant conversation to anyone in the fashion world, and also in business, who is looking for inspiration on leadership as we move forward into a more sustainable industry. Now, over to my conversation with the lovely Cecily. Hi, Celia. So I'm so glad um, to have you on today. And, you know, it's a really timely moment to be speaking about the future of fashion and in particular um, fashion weeks, which we haven't really covered before on the podcast. Um, so thank you very much for, for coming on to speak to us. 
Thank you for having me, Cora. So just to kick things off, I always kind of like to ask a little bit about your personal backstory first and Mm -hmm. foremost, just because I think it's really interesting how our childhood can sometimes affect the people we grow up to be. So you obviously are in you're you're in Copenhagen now but did you did you always live in the city or did you grow up in the country can you tell us a little bit about you know how you came to be where you are today yeah um no so I I grew up in in a suburb just north of Copenhagen um where I was born and uh and had you know most of my upbringing um, until I was in my early teens, and we actually uh, moved to um, to Cairo in Egypt, wow. which was uh, obviously uh, something completely different than what I'd uh, than what I'd been um, used to. Um, my childhood in in Denmark was very, you know, safe and privileged. Um, you know, with a family of mom, dad, a brother, me, um, and. Um, and then, of course, yeah, moving to Egypt was, um, was, you know, not only, you know, another country, another culture, another climate, another everything. It was, um, it was a completely new life. Um, but I think that also shaped me and, you know, and gave me, you know, new, new perspectives on, on what life actually is, that life isn't only, you know, growing up in the, in the safe and secure suburbs of Copenhagen, but that life is, uh, that life has many, many other aspects to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting, the sort of travels we take and and the perspectives we gain in that. And I think, you know, obviously you kind of, you moved back, um, to to Denmark and obviously you know took with you some different perspectives and and knowledge which I'm sure stood you in good stead but I think speaking you know kind of specifically to Scandinavia you know so often within the realm of sustainability it seems like we sort of hold it up as this as this model of an area of the world where you know, sustainability and egalitarianism is a little bit more commonplace than maybe other other parts of the world. And I just was wondering, you know, with your own personal backstory, have you always been someone who's considered the environment and sustainability intrinsic to how you lived your life? Or is this something that's evolved for you with time? Um, no, I mean, it's, so it's it's not like I grew up in you know in the countryside with uh, you know in a family of uh, vegans that didn't drive cars. Um, so so we can't romanticize my uh, my sustainability uh, perspectives in life today um, that much. Um, but I think um, but I think there there was definitely like an an, an educational and awareness um, you know aspect to my childhood in terms of especially the environment, because my, uh, my dad had his entire career um, in the Ministry of Environment in, uh, in Denmark, so around, I guess, 30 years. Um, so I think that obviously fostered, you know, a lot of, you know, conversations around the dinner table and in general, you know, just awareness of, of you know, the planet that we live on. And I just, you know, I remember, you know, the 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 key headlines and the topics from my childhood centered a lot around you know pollution in the 80s you know words like the ozone layer and what's happening with the ozone layer and coal energy versus you know wind 
power in particular because our you know windmill industry in Denmark is so big. So I think there was a lot of I think I, w- I was brought up with conscience and an awareness about um, about the challenges um, that we have in relation to to environment to the environment and and that was obviously you know a big privilege. Um, I also remember in school discussing it and you know and we have a very you know in a growing up in a you know social democratic uh, country where politics are widely discussed and you know and you can you can you can get information from from various you know sources tv channels now of course the internet and so on there's just a, a general i would say public um very I, i would say high level of 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 information that that that's a big privilege to us in terms of um when it comes to you know how to live you know a more responsible life and and what to care about and what to be conscious about so but yeah i i know you know scandinavia has this reputation of you know being this you know place where you know nature and your you know personal life go hand in hand and um and i think i think it comes down to first and foremost you know having a welfare society where we have this you know this this high level of of um of awareness um and i think you know to me of course you know growing up in a family where my dad was working with the environment for you know for yeah my entire childhood uh, the first 30 years of my life has of course um has of course uh impacted me and and shaped me um and and i'm just going to give you a little uh bonus information because now that we are talking about sustainability in fashion and people often ask me so how did you end up in fashion um i think um i think many people at least find it interesting that uh, from my mom's side of the of the family um they were all except for my mom actually she was a school teacher but but everyone else um were working within the creative industry uh, my grandmother was a seamstress my grandfather was an architect my my mother's brother was also an architect we had my her sister was a film costume designer um we have a, a um what is it called a furniture designer so a lot of you know appreciation for aesthetics and and creativity i think shaped me first and foremost and then came um you know the the i i think then evolved uh my my consciousness and 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 uh and also appreciation for you know how to take care of um you know of of the planet around us so i think those two i know i don't know if it's a it's if it's a confidence or or if it's if it's a coincidence that uh that i'm so passionate about about both fashion and sustainability um or if it's like a pure like a very mathematic result of having you know a mom on one hand uh you know with all the you know aesthetics uh uh or values in terms of aesthetics and then the dad uh engaged in environment or if it's if it's a combination probably i think but um yeah. but i think that 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 very much shaped me yeah um, and but also think it's important to say i mean that of course i mean in in our personal lives uh or in my personal life um i think you know being conscious of you know of the choices that we make in our 
in our daily lives is, um, you know, being conscious of both the, the, the good choices that we make, but also the bad choices is, um, it, I think it just all comes down to being, being conscious. Yeah, exactly. And I think arguably, you know, it was why I was so excited to speak to you today. I think there are a lot of arguments being made that inevitably the concept of fashion week is something that is not conscious. And we've seen a lot of people, you know, extinction rebellion here in London, for instance, um, advocating against any sort of fashion week whatsoever. And we're going to get more into that side of things. But I think, you know, First and foremost, I'd love to start because before Copenhagen Fashion Week, um, you actually were at the Global Fashion Agenda as the communications director. And for those of us who may not be so familiar with the you know, Global Fashion Agenda, can you tell us a bit about the organization and what you were trying to achieve whilst there and, and what it's still doing today? Because I think that's a really interesting stepping stone in terms of your career and also another organization that that is doing amazing work people should probably know about yeah yeah um no yeah i worked um i worked for um for two years as the communication director of global fashion agenda and um and global fashion agenda is in in an international advocacy forum pushing for change in the fashion industry um, and uh, I think it's it's probably most known for organizing the world's um, biggest and, and leading business event called the Copenhagen Fashion Summit that takes place once a year. Um, and and uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the global fashion agenda is, I think the main goal is to secure like international alignment in terms of like what should be the strategic priorities of companies. So that's why they've, they've formed a group of, um, of strategic uh, partners, um, such as uh, Caring, Bestseller, ASAS, PVH Group, um, and, and many more, who, you know, they make sure to, to align on the different topics and, um, and, um, and really, you know, together you know, set a common direction for the fashion industry. Um, and yeah, and, um, and the Global Fashion Agenda puts out publications like the CEO Agenda and um, the Pulse of the Fashion Industry. So it's a very, a thought leader within fashion. I think that's the word I was looking for, a thought leader um, within sustainability and fashion. And of course, you know, spearheaded by Eva Kose, who's who's actually now leaving Global Fashion Agenda after um, after ten years um, after she founded it, um, but 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 she was uh, she was really paving the way for sustainability in fashion and and working you know so dedicated and uh, she was really she was really a dream boss um, that I was privileged to have uh, a dream leader um, because you know because of her both her her, you know, sky high ambitions on one hand, but also, you know, her, her, you know, crazy, amazing ability to also make results and, 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 you know, and drive change in the industry. And um, so, so I was, I was fortunate to be working for her. And just as a side note, um, even though I think on my CV, it says uh, two years with the global uh, fashion agenda, um, I actually spent almost nine years, um, with Eva Kruse and, and her team because before 
global fashion agenda became global fashion agenda. It was called the Danish Fashion Institute. So I've actually been there for nine, nine whole years. Yeah, so a lot of time kind of working on this. And I think it's a really, um, it's a really interesting and provocative argument, you know, that we've, I'm trying to balance on the podcast, which is sort of the people that are working with these bigger corporate entities, like I know Global Fashion Agenda did, you dropped some really big names there in terms of people that you guys were working with. And I think, you know, we had um, right before we, we finished season three, Nikolai, who is the founder of Ghani was on and, you know, he made a really compelling argument about the fact that, you know, whilst at Revolver personally, we only st stock smaller independent brands for their sustainability stories. Um, as a personal choice, you know, his, his argument was that we are not going to solve the climate crisis, the sustainability crisis, any of these things without getting the big corporations involved. And because it's just fact, you know, these, these companies are too powerful. The money that goes into them is too powerful and consumers for the most part, whether we want to believe this or not, aren't going to change their spending habits to the extent that we really want them to. And it was a somewhat, it's a somewhat hard argument to swallow, mm -hmm. but I think one worth having. And is that how you felt after leaving Global Fashion Agenda? Did you, do, you, oh, do you still feel that we need to engage these big corporates, even though arguably they're the ones that got us into this mess in the first place? Mm. Well, I, of course, I mean, I think, in, when you when you consider big corporations and the volume um, that they represent, of course, it's it's uh, it's vital that that change happens. Um, and and I think change will only happen if you have an inclusive uh, approach uh, in general. If you exclude uh, anyone, uh, whether it's you know persons or players or corporations, um, then then why sh why should they change? Um, so. So yes, I, I agree with uh, with you and Nikolai that that you know in, inclusion is is so much more um, rewarding uh, in the end and um, and I actually it's also something that that I would love to talk more about when um, when we hopefully get a chance to talk about um, you know our our uh, strategy for Copenhagen Fashion Week and our twenty twenty three requirements. Um, because yeah. I think, you know, inclusion versus exclusion is a really important uh, subject um, to, um, yeah, to touch upon. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're, we're recording this a day after, you know, me watching in my home country of America, you know, probably the most divisive day I remember seeing in my, in my entire 33 years <laughs> on earth. And I think, you know, we've got to start thinking about how to work together rather than tearing one another down. And I think that whilst there's arguments on both sides, I'm, I'm really keen to hear about, you know, how you're looking at this idea of inclusion and setting goals for brands big and small to partake in Copenhagen Fashion Week. So, so, so let's move. So let's get into it. So, you're you're moving into the position of CEO, and I'd love to just hear about you know how your mindset was going into that role when you know we're in the midst of a climate crisis, and I know that you know that fashion has such a huge responsibility when it comes to carbon emissions and environmental impacts and waste. I mean, 
were you worried that your new role would be at odds with perhaps your feeling towards how quickly we need to move on climate and environment? Well, I mean, uh, I think I think it's a um, it's a question that's that's quite spot on because for sure. Um, but that's also why I wanted to take on the challenge um, and and apply for the job. Um, the job became um, vacant um, in uh, 2018. And um, to begin with, um, I did not even consider applying uh, for the job as CEO of Copenhagen Fashion Week because Fashion Weeks um, to me um, at that time seemed, you know, so, you know, hopelessly outdated and, and you know, and, and just, you know, rewinding back to, you know, us talking about my, my tenure at Global Fashion Agenda and, and, you know, being super dedicated to pushing for, for sustainability in the fashion industry. Those two seemed a little bit uh, like opposites. Um, so, um, but I think, you know, after having been through, you know, a thought process, I also found the motivation to use my, you know, my passion and my dedication to, you know, in, well, within sustainability to, um, to, to go for the job and, and go for, you know, to, to see how I could possibly like reinvent or remodel um, the, the fashion week model. Um, because I think, you know, when I was looking at it, you know, I was finding fashion week, uh, not only here in Copenhagen, but also, you know, in general in the world to, you know, as I said, to be, you know, really, yeah, outdated. And, you know, it was about new trends and it still is about new trends and consumption and just a whole lot of, you know, glitz and glamour and a little bit being, a you know, a bit too insensitive to the world around us at times and, you know, out of sync with, you know, political, societal, you know, issues um, and, yeah, the context around us um, and, and, and I just, I really wanted to challenge that and, and, and see, okay, so if a fashion week or, you know, given the fact that a fashion week is a huge platform for the fashion industry and a super important platform for the industry, how can we use our role in a more meaningful way? Um, and how can we start focusing on maybe instead of just being, you know, a platform for you know, presenting new and more fashion, how can we also become a platform that can drive change in the industry and really, you know, facilitate action in the industry in terms of sustainability. So I think it was, it was a, it was a challenge that I really, I mean, I was very, I was very conscious of the fact that it could be, um, you know, at odds with with my feelings on on sustainability and the climate and and but um but it was also what what really what really drove me to um to take on the role and luckily i mean the the board that that hired me um they um they they completely agreed um on you know my higher vision for how to develop uh, and turn around our fashion week so um so i had their support from the beginning so um yeah so now it's all about 
executing. <laughs> and and that's where it gets exciting and, yeah. and super interesting. And I heard, you know, I heard you quote in another talk you gave the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, um, that humankind has declared war on nature and nature is striking back in a very violent way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in coming off the back of 2020, where we saw wildfires in California, the start of the year wildfires in Australia, you know, more hurricanes than ever, melting ice caps, um, a pandemic that is arguably at the root of our, you know, corrupt nature when it comes to how we treat animals and their habitats. Um, and, you know, and I just thought it was so relevant. And I, I wanted to ask you if you find it difficult to work within fashion when you believe that statement, because oftentimes I do question things, you know, personally, I think when you run a company that is based off of a system that you inherently worry is almost broken beyond repair, you know, how do we ever get fashion to go hand in hand with nature and respect for our natural world? I mean, I'm assuming you think that's possible because of your desire to be in this position, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Just, you know, almost like personally, how you kind of um, maybe think or aspire to get those two things maybe to work together more. Yeah. No, I, and yeah, it's true. I, I said that, I, I think I said it in a, in a, in an opening speech a year ago, and it was exactly at the time where, where the bushfires were, you know, happening in Australia and, you know, we're talking a lot about melting, melting glaciers in the Arctic. And, and, and I think what I, I mean, of course, what I found scary about his statement was, first of all, the, the truth to it. I mean, that, that nature is striking back at, at humankind. Um, but I think what I found and find more scary is, is actually how, you know, both bushfires, melting glaciers, hurricanes, they kind of, you know, it, it, they resonate still unfortunately like very remote to many of us i mean it's it's i think it's hard for you know people uh to understand how you know how our you know the actions that we make in our daily lives can really contribute to you know something as devastating as bushfires um but the fact is that you know we are we are all accountable and and we have to be held accountable so we have to lower our carbon footprint um otherwise you know this is not never going to end um and 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 that also goes you know for fashion as as you're saying i mean we all we all have to lower our footprint and we all have to change the way we're we're behaving or doing business um because otherwise um, we can never go go hand in hand with nature and and you're completely right if i if i didn't think it was possible to 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 turn the ship or to turn the tanker then then i probably shouldn't be uh be doing what i'm doing um or i could just you know for, you know forget about you know my you know ambitious uh plans and and strategy and and go back to focusing on you know the glitz and the glamour of the fashion industry but that wouldn't be right uh and and that's definitely not what i want either um i do believe that it's that it is possible to create uh change and but that it has to happen at a systemic level because the the choices of 
you know, again, referring back to your conversation with Nikolai um, about, you know, who you're stalking at, at Revanvea and, you know, if, 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 for example, but, you know, if the, the, the little, you know, or not the little, but the, the, the big decisions, uh, whether it's, you know, independent uh, retailers or mass e-commerce retailers, or, you know, the little actions and uh, of, of fashion brands, whether independent or corporations, um, of course, they, they do matter, but change has to happen at a systemic level and we all have to shift otherwise, you know, otherwise, I, I don't think that we will be able to go hand in hand with nature now. And do you think that that will require, you know, government support or do you think that that can be done through businesses and organizations, you know, such as Copenhagen Fashion Week? I think I think it's um, I think it requires everything. I think it requires government support, uh, and I think it requires more um, more more regulations from the government um, in order to secure a common direction for the fashion industry. Um, because I mean, like I said, fashion brands are are good at launching you know new responsible initiatives and you know adapting new measures implementing new technology, finding new materials. But, but I think what, and I'm definitely not the only one, I think, I've, you know, I find it a little bit, a little bit messy um, and, and that we need some more, you know, some more common direction alignment, a systemic, uh, you know, systemic framework to, to guide us and, um, and more standards being put out as well, um, whether it's national standards or international standards. So yes, definitely more government support. And um, and speaking of government support, I also think it's quite vital um, to focus a lot more on, on economic incentives uh, coming from the government because, I don't know, but right now, at least to my knowledge, I think the biggest economic incentive to any brand, um, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to, be, to, to become more sustainable is the potential financial reward in the end of, you know, attracting more consumers and gaining market shares and so forth. But I don't think that's enough. It's, I don't think that's enough to foster, you know, real transition. I think it should be, or it shouldn't be, uh, more expensive for a brand um, to source sustainable materials, and it shouldn't be more expensive for consumers to buy sustainable products. Uh, I think that's uh, it's it's just a wrong start, um, and I think that that you know from the government side, you know, bringing on more economic incentives for you know fashion brands, small or big, uh, to change. I think that's that's vital. Um, but I also think, as you said, it's not only government, it's also organizations like ours um, or events like ours. Um, it's, it's, any, it's any big big platform or even smaller platforms, but with a you know, big voice that people actually you know, care to listen to. Um, and um, I think, yeah, I think, I think we're all in it together and we're all responsible to, to, to drive change. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think so, so key takeaway there, guys, you know, I always, always make sure you vote, um, always make sure you're voting for officials that have climate policy and, you know, believe in climate change, <laughs> um, you know, at, at, at the heart of, of 
what they're doing as politicians, because I think post this pandemic, it is, you know, it is going to be our greatest challenge um, as we move forward into humanity, that and social injustice. So, you know, it, it is so important to remain or become engaged with politics. And every conversation I have, Cecilia, is, is exactly the same where business leaders or anyone in the space just says, I wish that the government was regulating things more. Yeah. And the only way that that happens is if we elect people to offices that care about the climate. Um, so, so thank you for reiterating that, you know, and, um, and I, I want to now go into the three year action plan for sustainability, because mm -hmm. I think that this is so interesting. And, you know, I love these conversations about proactive things that are happening in the space. Um, so you've, you've kind of created a checklist that would require brands to, to increase their ethical and environmental practices and processes. You know, how, how long were you working on this? Was this something that you started on as soon as you got in? And, and who did you sort of lean on to help with the execution of this? Um, it's, it's something that I started on right away and probably also prior to, uh, to, uh, to starting at, at Copenhagen Fashion Week. Um, I started on the 1st of November 2018 and um, I remember, you know, one of the first, um, one of my first uh, uh, tasks um, or wishes was to gather a sustainability advisory board around me um, of, um, you know, people with, um, you know, visionary people um, working both, you know, from the brand side um, with sustainability, but also, so for example, Nikolai, I think we've mentioned him a few times in this podcast already, but he's <laughs> in my advisory board. Um, um, but also, uh, but also, for example, the mayor of culture of Copenhagen, who's, uh, she's, she's from the, the Green Party um, in our, in our parliament. Um, and, um, and she, it, it's she's such a great you know source of inspiration as well because she you know she contributes with you know her political views um on on fashion um and and how fashion can do better and how also events uh, in general can do better we have eva Kruse from global fashion agenda but we also have some uh international um members of the advisory board like amy powney from mother of pearl and um, and Claire Press um, from from Wardrobe Crisis um, back then Vogue Australia. So a lot of yeah um, thought leaders and visionary people who I you know I wanted to gather that group in order to well first of all like I guess present you know my vision and my ideas for Copenhagen Fashion Week going forward, but also of course get their get their you know feedback and and additional thoughts on on the direction and and some of the very like concrete um you know projects that i wanted to to launch um so they've been a great um a great resource from the beginning and um yeah so i i, I gathered that group of people in um i think the group was formed in in january 2019 and um and shortly after, I also initiated a partnership with um, our our knowledge partner, um, which is a consultancy, a little uh, independent uh, consultancy uh, firm called Infotuum, uh, who are specializing um, 
in exactly you know sustainability in within uh, both fashion and and uh, and the lifestyle um, uh, industry. So so together with them, we started shaping our our overall strategy for Copenhagen Fashion Week um, going forward. And and one of the you know one of my wishes was actually to um, to tie it um, to tie it up with or to use the sustainable development goals um, of the United Nations as as our overall framework because um, again going back to you know my comments around you know a common direction a common language I found this the 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 SDGs to be really helpful in you know you know, making sure that we have a common understanding of, you know, when we say, you know, resource consumption, or when, when we say we work with, you know, uh, our climate impact that, you know, we're speaking the same language. So, um, so we picked out um, three SDGs that we're working with. Um, and um, it's number 10, 12 and 17. And, um, and those are the ones that, that are really, you know, shaping our, our work. So and that's within, as I said, resource consumption and climate impact um, and, um, and partnerships for the goals, it's called. So all of that was, was super helpful in the, in the first stage, but I knew all along that I wanted more than just a nice looking and nice sounding strategy because um, anyone can do that. Um, and I think as a fashion week, uh, you'll be held more accountable. Um, you know, it's, it's not just enough to have, to have, um, to have a, a strategy, but you also need to, to lay out a plan. Um, so it was important for me to, um, to develop this three-year action plan, the word action being very key. And um, of our action plan relates to to our own event production and and that's the one the the part that i always refer to as the easy part you know is the decisions that we make around our fashion week in order to um for example lower our climate impact or reduce um, you know the resources um that we're consuming uh, on our fashion week and we have very high like very high targets for that so by 20, 2023 our fashion week you know in the operations that we are responsible for as you know as an event organization we aim to lower or to reduce our 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 carbon footprint by 50 percent and um and to become a zero waste fashion week uh in in all of our operations um and that of course requires that we that we make some changes along the way in terms of you know new suppliers and um and also you know finding ways to to you know, finding new ways to do Fashion Week, and and I think you know this year of 2020 has really uh, allowed us to you know um, to explore some new opportunities of how to do Fashion Week um, in a very digital sphere. So um, so yeah, so that's the first part of part of the the sustainability action plan. You know, goals for our own event production. Can I, just, can I actually just ask you before we move on to part two, Celia, mm -hmm. is, how, how are you going to make it zero waste? Because I think that's a really, um, that's a really ambitious goal, I would say, you know, because also, you know, so much of, of fashion weeks, you know, when I've been there in the past is, you know, brands 
deciding it's cute to brand their own personal plastic water bottles or, you know, all the um, plastic badges you're given to get into shows, things. I mean, it's just, there's so many elements to a fashion week that I, I think that's a really ambitious undertaking. Yeah. I mean, it, and it and it is ambitious. Um, we have um, we have we have targets every year that that relate to you know how we can ultimately become zero waste. So so just to give some examples, um, last year we banned plastic bottles, for example, single-use plastic bottles. So you, so if if you ever attended Copenhagen Fashion Week and saw plastic uh, bottles, that was uh, that was before uh, before twenty nineteen. Um, now we're also banning actually all single use plastic, uh, backstage. So, I mean, everything from plastic, like single use plastic hangers or garment protectors, uh, single use plastic utensils, cups, everything, straws, everything. So, um, so no single use, um, and, and then after, so that's happening now in 2021. And then after that, it's, it's in general, no single use materials whatsoever. Um, so yeah, so, so moving on to now, sort of the second part of this and, and the execution side of things, um, walk us through, walk us through what's next on that front. Yeah, so um, so the second part of our three-year sustainability action plan relates to um, the bigger picture. So how we can use our platform to maybe not only drive change in the industry, but but more importantly, demand change in the industry. It sounds a little bit hard, but um, um, and it is. Uh, we decided to. Um, we decided to to come up with a set of minimum standards and a whole lot of action points, uh, more than 80 action points, um, to require that fashion brands, you know, in order to be eligible for, you know, applying for a fashion week, a show uh, during our fashion week, have to comply with the minimum standards and not only comply with the minimum standards, but also additionally, you know, score a minimum amount of points in this, you know, sustainability survey uh, system that we made uh, consisting of these uh, more than 80 uh, action points in which you can, which you can score different, uh, different points. They are, they're weighted uh, differently. Okay. So, um, so what what curiosity like yeah. what's the, so what's the minimum that somebody would be able to score and still be able to be included yeah so we are in the process right now of of uh, of establishing the the baseline um because so we what we did was um after we um after we developed the the points uh system and uh and identified the the i think it's 88 action points and the 17 minimum standards together with you know our international panel of experts and our sustainability advisory board our consultancy company and everything um you know we then had the list of all the many action points so we um 
we made a new partnership with Ramble, um, which is a, a global engineering company, in order to have them, you know, assist uh, assist us with, you know, weighing the different action points according to their level of impact, but also, you know, the the the, the level of of uh, complexity. So how you know how easy versus difficult is it to implement this in your company? Um, so, so we now have this grid of, you know, of the action points that, that weigh according to their, to their urgency and, and, uh, and complexity. So fashion brands will, um, have to, you know, fill out the, the survey and, and then it comes up with, you know, with your score. And we're uh, in the process now of making the first, um, pilot test in order to determine, you know, what is the baseline of the industry? So, you know, how in average, how would a brand score today? So what's needed for 2023 in order to, you know, be able to really progress um, uh, properly um, and make it very ambitious. So I don't have the, I don't have the exact points yet, um, a, a number of points to share, but, um, but it could, for example, be that brands would need to score, let's just say an imaginary 60 points in this uh, sustainability survey in order to be eligible to apply for Fashion Week. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. And would you treat all brands the same in that aspect? So if it was a really big brand, would they be treated the same, you know, as, as a small brand? Yeah, um, they have to score the same, um, the same amount of points. We're actually currently discussing, and I think the pilot test will make us um, a little bit uh, more, um, um, I think, or at least um, it, will, it will give us the insights that we need in order to make the decision. But we are considering right now if, if the level of documentation should vary depending on you know, the size of the brand. Okay. Interesting. Well, we yeah. can keep everybody posted on this. I think it, it's a really interesting and, and the first of its kind um, way of, of doing things. And I, I remember, you know, reading an article about you and, and your, your commitments to making Copenhagen Fashion Week the most sustainable, the greenest mm -hmm. um, of all the fashion weeks. So I think like, you know, all eyes on Copenhagen and it's such a great and interesting time to be coming up with real you know because I think that's that's it everybody's always like yeah it's all well and good to say those things but what actually are we doing what are the action points how are we holding people accountable so I'm really glad to hear that this is being so so thought out and and hopefully will stand as a benchmark to other people yeah. in fashion and um I hope it will too. And I think, I think what was, and, and it's just another uh, point that I wanted to, um, to make, I think what was you know, quintessential for us as well was to make it a, a very, you know, holistic, uh, holistic, you know, tool. Um, yeah. So, because I think the, the easy way, and it, it, it would also have been the wrong way, but, you know, it, it would have been, you know, super easy to say, okay, so in order to be a part of Copenhagen Fashion Week, all brands, must, you know, show collections consisting of a minimum, you know, 50% uh, sustainable uh, materials, but, 
you know, we all know that that doesn't necessarily make a brand uh, sustainable. Uh, it might, um, but uh, but it could also be that you know the whole business model isn't bulletproof in terms of you know sustainability or responsibility. Um, so I think so for us, it was super important to have a holistic approach to how we defined uh, the the eighty eight uh, criteria or the action points and the seventeen minimum standards. So 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 what we what we did was we looked at the entire value chain and we said, okay, so, so let's, let's chop up the value chain in, you know, in six chunks. Um, so we started, you know, with, first of all, strategic direction, then, you know, design materials, you know, working conditions, consumer engagements, uh, cons consumer engagement, and then ending with, you know, what's particular for a fashion week brand, your show production. Um, and then within each of those areas, uh, defining the different action points where, you know, you can, uh, in the survey, what you do is you take off yes or no, um, you know, it asks you, are you able to, you know, disclose information about tier two and tier one suppliers, yes or no. And if you, if you take off yes, then you also have to be able to document it. So, and that's how you ultimately um, end up, you know, with a, with, you know, gaining points and end up with a, with a score um, that, will or will not um, allow you to um, to be a part of Copenhagen Fashion Week. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I think, so this all, this all sounds so promising and great. And I, I also just wonder quickly, would these be things that you would share with other Fashion Weeks if they so chose? I mean, because I guess, like, I guess that's like where my concern is. And I bet where a lot of people listening will wonder is, you know, okay, well, if Copenhagen does this, it's amazing. But if Paris, London, Milan, and New York fail to do the same, yeah. you know, what, what's, what impact is there really going to be? I completely agree. Um, I think, you know, if this is, if this will become like a standalone, uh, feature um, then of course we're not going to drive change we're not going to revolutionize the industry in any way it will be great for our little you know Copenhagen fashion week um, but uh, but it's not going to have an impact um, or at least not a, a, a big impact um, you know worldwide um, so it's 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 no secret that it is my ultimate uh, wish to be able to collaborate with other fashion weeks on this and it's uh, I think we've made it in or we've developed it in a way that it's you know it's super I was going to say open source I mean we're we're willing to share and willing to to yeah both both share you know the the system itself but also our experiences um, because I'm sure that I mean this is not going to be you know, 100% perfect from the beginning, and and we're definitely gonna gonna need to to revise a little bit along the way. I think that's inevitable in 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 most in most you know new projects that you set out or new systems. Um. So, so yeah, of course we're willing to to share our experiences. Um, which is and our learnings with other fashion weeks. Well, I and I think that's where and I think that's where this has the potential to become something that, yeah. that truly is meaningful. Um, because I think oftentimes it, it just seems, you know, we're not going to to totally change and dismantle the system as much as I might want to or you might want to. There's an inevitability of the fact that we cannot tear down 
every structure um, that is in place. And, and I think aiming to repair them and sharing knowledge and commitments is, is such a huge part of hopefully being able to move forward into a, a better world. And that being yeah. said, you know, I, I was doing some reading the other day that, you know, projections now say that by, cause it, it can feel like so much good stuff is happening and we're getting so much momentum within mm. sustainability. And then I'll do something like read an article like this that says that by 2030, the fashion industry is expected to grow by 81%. And I, I mean, that is an unfathomable number as we look at the impact of fashion as it is now. I mean, how the hell does it get 81% times worse than this? And, and do you have faith that we can circumvent this level of, of growth? And, you know, as your role within a fashion week, where arguably, I mean, you said it before, and there's an element of newness, there has to be in order for this to work. How do we try to avoid this like kind of insane level of growth? I mean, <laughs> you, Sorry, you're so right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're so right. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, I, I question that myself as well. How the hell are we going to circumvent this? Um, yeah. It seems, uh, yeah, quite quite insane to be honest. Um, but I think, I think it comes down to again, as I was saying in the beginning, you know, a systemic change, but also a change of you know of values. Um, I think um, whether it's consumers or brands or fashion weeks, I think we all need to slow down. Um, I think, I think. I mean, of course, it's completely fair to question if if two fashion weeks uh, per year uh, isn't, you know, also way too much, um, and and uh, and it might be. I think the the problem lies also in the in the multiple fashion weeks that lie within, you know, the pre, the main, the haute couture, the the crews, the you know, and the men's and the women's, and you know, just this whole system that puts an immense pressure on. I mean, the industry, the the designers that are in the industry, um, but ultimately also the consumers who, you know, how are they supposed to keep up with all the newness, as you said? So I think I think we all need to slow down. I don't know if two fashion weeks per year is, you know, is the answer to everything. Um, I know that it's something that that the business of fashion and their, you know, rewiring fashion actually proposed. Um, but but I, I think, you know, going back to the values of a fashion week, I think, you know, maybe we should maybe we should be better at focusing more on on, you know, values such as, you know, high quality creativity and the, you know, the more the aesthetic, you know, disciplines instead of the, you know, the new trends and the rhetorics around, you know, the new seasons must haves or these are to die for because nothing is a must have and nothing is to die for. Yeah. I mean, of course, we're, I think, totally excused that we, you know, that we, that we, you know, that we desire fashion. I think, I think that's very, I don't think that's uh, I don't I don't think that that's where the system is is broken. I think we can desire anything. We can desire music. We can desire other you know cultural disciplines, ballet, opera, um, films. We can desire you know so so many aspects. 
um, in our lives, but but I think the rhetorics around that it's a must-have and it's something that you need to renew every so often, that kind of needs to, it just needs to go, I think. And I think where a fashion week could take more responsibility is is maybe to to put more emphasis on like how do we how do we foster like more appreciation of like of the brand you know that is that is showcasing creatively during during the fashion week and not so much on all the new 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 products and the new trends but but really you know making maybe i don't know maybe being better at you know putting out a storytelling around, you know, the, the group of brands and, and, and it will always be, you know, a curated group of brands that's, that's showcasing at a fashion week, you know, a carefully selected group of brands that, you know, that, that, you know, can do something special um, or that, or that stand for something, you know, special and unique. And, and, um, and I think that's something we, could all pay more attention to. Um, and then of course, pay attention to the fact that the brands that show, that are lucky enough to, to show during fashion weeks, are also the ones that are, you know, producing ethically and, uh, and you know, making better choices than, you know, than the competitors perhaps. Yeah, and I think, you know, I agree because it's difficult this this argument fashion as culture because it is I mean we had Sarah Mino from Vogue Italia on and um, arguably I mean their work is just incredible and what they yeah. do as a fashion magazine in terms of activism I mean they've just come out with a you know an animal rights issue which I think they're the first fashion magazine to ever put animals, you know, as the focus on yeah. the cover of a magazine. And I'm thankful for that because it's it's hugely important with such huge voices to do things like that. And I think it it leads me into one of my final questions. And I know you and I have discussed this and I know it's a difficult one, but basically mm -hmm. I think what what really interests me and this question of growth that we need to stop is the the role of the influencer and celebrity now within fashion weeks um and you know i think we really need to start thinking about the responsibility who've made of people who've made their livelihoods promoting you know newness and and perhaps unsustainable brands in the past and i i would never point fingers or blame anyone that that does that but i think it, it is a really interesting cultural debate here because what what is you know so many fashion weeks now the whole thing is they invite these influencers the influencers almost have more power than than the press arguably at this point um and very few of them are probably doing as much as they should when it comes to promoting sustainable lifestyles to their audience so in i don't want to ask you to have to to say exactly how you feel about influencers as a whole but in the context of a fashion week what do you think the responsibility is for these women and, and men who are working in that space and, and promoting so much newness? Yeah, I mean, and I think, I think the word responsibility is, um, is, is, um, is the one to, um, is the one to really, you know, um, delve, delve into because I think, First of all, I think let's let's start with the positive, uh, you know, side to it because I think you know influencers are making a very you know have been making a very you know positive 
difference for for many fashion brands and you know many fashion brands have have grown or you know come to the market because of influencers and i think that should be acknowledged that it's really you know paved the success of both many new but also many old brands i mean take for example bottega veneta um, the revival of 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 the old fashion house would would not have happened without uh influencers um so i think you know there's there's one side to it that's really like celebrating the you know the business model of of influencers and how they how they you know interact and and coexist with fashion brands um but then there's there's the other side to it which which comes down to you know i also hope that we'll be seeing more influencers you know using their powerful positions to you know to take more responsibility to promote you know brands that that actually do better and and like i said you know instead of promoting any brand then you know promoting the brand that you know that that's you know working with responsibility very ambitiously and i think you know just like just like we as copenhagen fashion week um are you know demanding a minimum level of sustainability from the brands that we work with you are at revanvert um but also you know a big e-commerce uh player like Zalando for example and full disclosure we're partnering with uh Zalando at the moment um but but they they have also declared that um that also by 2023 they'll only be working with with uh with uh brands that are working ethically and sustainably um mag some magazines are doing it um but but ultimately the whole fashion ecosystem including influencers and celebrities or even like member organizations why why doesn't a member organization like um i don't know it could be cfda or here in denmark uh, danish fashion and textile i think they should also be bold to you know maybe not from tomorrow on but in the future say you know we're only going to represent um you know the part of the fashion industry um that you know has this this level of commitment to sustainability so i think the the more the more players in the in this you know little fashion ecosystem that you know the more players that demand change um you know the more the more impact we'll be seeing and that yeah. includes influencers as well yeah and i guess kind of final question on that point is you know i i i know you guys are mar like mapping your carbon footprint with Copenhagen fashion week and one of the things that i think arguably again one of the issues with celebrities and influencers is literally how much they fly and are flown all around the world for different events and um obviously that won't be an issue this fashion week with everything mm. digital but how are you looking at that going forward because arguably that that might be one of the biggest impacts of any fashion week if not the biggest impact of any fashion mm. week yeah it's it's um it's a very complex um it's a very complex uh area of uh, of our fashion week because i think you know the 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 success criteria for a fashion week for you know a brand that wants to be a part of fashion week is that there's an audience and of course you can have a digital audience but you know the personal interaction and engagement and you know 
the networking and the meeting, um, the, the physical meeting is, um, we, 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 I mean, it's, it's super key. Um, so I think, you know, a physical fashion week where people actually fly to a physical fashion week, we still need that. Um, also, if you're a brand and you don't have that audience any longer, then there's no incentive to show at a fashion week. And if your incentive disappears, then why should you be a part of fashion week? Why, why should you be a part of fashion week? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then that completely, uh, that completely arrogates, you know, the, the whole point of demanding change from our side, you know, towards the industry and, you know, setting out minimum requirements for fashion brands to comply with. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really tricky one because I do think we need a physical audience to be able to secure the same level of, of interest from the brands. Um, I'm not saying that, that the digital dissemination or distribution of shows isn't valuable. I think it's, it's, uh, it's crucial as well. And I think we need to only grow that. So I think we can, I mean, I think we can lower the frequency of guests and probably also um, continue, you know, the success without as many guests, but I don't think we'll ever, you know, be able to replace the, you know, the value of a physical fashion week with a purely digital fashion week. I mean, and I think that is, it's something that I think everybody's wondering about now. It's, you know, the, the digital versus the physical, and we've all gotten so used to doing things remotely now, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite have the same impact as being able to sit next to someone, look them in the eyes, um, physically interact with them. And I, I don't want to lose that human element of interaction either. Um, do you, have you guys like, do you think about offsetting in terms of flights and things like that? It's, um, it's kind of a random question, but has that come up as something that. Yeah, we, we already do that actually. Um, it's not something that we are like, uh, you know, communicating widely about because I think it's, it's a hygiene factor. Um, we, we offset, um, like all of our operations, actually our, our entire, um, carbon footprint of, you know, of, of the operations that we are, you know, directly responsible of. So, you know, flights, um, our opening dinner, um, the hotels of our guests, the cars going around in the city, the shuttle buses, um, taking the press around and so forth. Uh, all the food that we um, that we um, distribute, um, we offset that carbon footprint, and um, yeah, and, and we support we support two um, two two projects in uh, in Africa. One is a tree planting uh, project, and the other one is a forest conservation project in uh, in Zimbabwe, and um, and and it's fine and but i think it's it's a hygiene factor i think anyone should should be doing that as a minimum and not talk about it yeah exactly it shouldn't even be like a question um we should all be doing it um and i think you know that's a really great place to draw this to a close cecilia i just 
my final question that I really like to ask my guests um, just for a, a little bit, a little last dose of inspiration is, you know, moving back into the personal, finally, how do you go about living your own life in the most sustainable way possible? I know you have two young daughters, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're a contemporary cosmopolitan woman. Um, mm -hmm. how, how have you approached this? Because I know that since, you know, starting Rev six years ago, I, I've gone even further down a rabbit hole of, of how I live my life. So I just like to see how people have been making changes in their own personal ways as well. I think, to be honest, I think um, I'm I'm probably quite average, meaning that you know I'm I'm 100% conscious of of all the choices that I that I make. Um, well, one could not, probably not ever say 100%, but I'm very conscious of of the choices that I make. I'm I'm conscious of the good the good ones, like you know in our family we only. I don't know we only purchase organic food and we have you know reduced our meat uh, consumption we're not vegetarians unfortunately we, we, we've reduced our meat consumption um so we only you know have meat twice um a week we we sort our trash in i think eight different categories and only buy green household products um you know right now we're we're renovating um a new apartment and we're also conscious of the materials that we choose like you know eco-friendly paint and fsc certified wood and stuff like that but as i said i'm also very conscious of the 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 bad choices um that that we make uh in our family and and what we don't do well um i think the best example is that we still drive a gasoline car and i'm not proud of that um but that's how it is right now and and we are looking for an alternative and it's it's um it's embarrassing to say but but i think with you know living trying to live a, a more you know conscious and sustainable life also comes with you know, the, you know, recognizing your, you know, both your flaws and where you can, and, and knowing how you can do better and then aiming to do better. So I'm, I'm average. I, I want to do better. Um, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite average. Of course. I mean, I buy a lot of, um, like for example, my personal wardrobe that, I mean, I've changed that a lot. So even though, uh, you probably think that, you know, as a CEO of a fashion week, I changed my, uh, I changed my wardrobe every season. I definitely do not. Um, but, um, I, I'm very appreciative of the brands that are part of our, our fashion week, but I enjoy just as much, you know, um, styles or clothes from, from, from seasons back, um, from, you know, any of our fashion week brands, um, as the new seasons, um, my favorite place to go shopping is my local, um, pre-loved, um, store, um, where they sell a lot of designer clothes that's, um, that's been worn and used before. Mm. So, so it's yeah. It, but it is, it's about the small steps because I think that's the thing is we can't expect everybody to go out tomorrow and, you know, like, um, you know, my husband and I were looking at buying an electric car and it's expensive and, you know, mm -hmm. just, you know, so it's not always completely accessible. I think that's the other problem is that, you know, we were looking at, um, we're redoing a farmhouse in Maine um, at the moment and, you know, looking into solar panels and heat pumps yeah. and 
it's expensive, you know, like it's going to be around $20,000 extra um, to, to make those sort of decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, like, but for us, that's something that we would prioritize over other expenses. And I think yeah. sometimes it's just about changing your mindset of, you know, yes, I'd love to buy some beautiful vintage furniture from first dibs, but yeah. you know, solar has to come first. Um, yeah. And it's about changing, I think, our priorities um, to realize that, you know, it's not going to matter so much what our homes look like if all of a sudden they're burnt down in a forest fire, um, which is something I'm very aware of as we go into a third year of, of droughts in my yeah. state of Maine, where we've never, ever had droughts before. Um, so, so, yes, so small realistic changes, I think, is, is huge in changing priorities and taking responsibility and all of these things that you've so articulately said. So thank you so much, um, Celia. And, and to well, thank you. Listening, you know, keep an eye out on the amazing work they're doing at Copenhagen Fashion Week. And, um, you know, I'll put in the show notes any, any good resources um, that we discussed here. And just thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you, Cora. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. <laughs> you too. All right. Take care. You too. Bye.